0: And before I read, just to remind you, in the first two messages, we looked at the first four verses, and we read five verses. We have looked at, by way of introduction, we heard the Apostle say in verse 1 that he was a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is his introductory salutation, if you will, his opening remarks to Titus. Uh, He is telling him that he's a bondservant, and he has been sent Uh, to help and stimulate the faith of God's elect or God's chosen people with the truth that results in godliness. That's what he's saying in the opening verse. In other words, Paul's ministry was aimed at both salvation and sanctification of God's people. The two really go hand in hand. When there's the absence of one, more than likely there's the absence of the other. But in addition, in verse 2, he expresses uh, to to Titus that all his ministry is in hope of eternal life. Everything that he is doing is in hope of eternal life. Just by way of reminder, Titus was a Gentile convert. You can read that back in Galatians 2 and verse 3. He had served and, according to Galatians 2, 1 through 3, he had served and traveled with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he also functioned as uh, a faithful servant to the troubled church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6-8, 2 Corinthians 8, 6, and verse 16. Somewhere around 63 to 64 A.D., sometime after, uh, somewhere around that, uh, that time frame, Paul left Timothy behind in, in Ephesus, and Paul and Titus traveled to where we are tonight on to Crete Paul stayed there a short time then left but according to verse 5 he has left Titus there and he tells him specifically what he wants him to do after the fact he has written this epistle and has delivered it to Titus the exact time of the writing is unknown I mean it's very it could vary uh, and where is unknown but he has written this to undergird why he has left Titus there. It's a very short epistle, and, uh, but he has wrote him these words, or written these words to him, so he will be very clear in why he has been left there, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. We'll read the first four verses again of Titus, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His Word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now here is the verse, verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, and then he tells him why, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. And then he proceeds, we're not looking at it tonight, but he will proceed to give the qualifications for the elder, for the bishop, for those who are looking after the doctrinal purity and soundness of those churches there in Crete. It is very obvious if you look at verse 5, I don't think you really need a commentary to identify the two things for the two reasons for which Paul has left Titus there in Crete. Number one, and we looked at this a little bit in the last message, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or the things that were lacking, the things that were maybe broken or off track. The word set in order there is the same as setting a bone, a fractured bone, getting it fixed in order that it might heal and be right. He has left Titus there that any era, doctrinal era, any era in doctrinal purity, he has left him there that he can set those things in order. He certainly has. The authority of the apostle paul to do that and he has been left there to accomplish that purpose and then the second one in verse number five what we're looking at tonight he also left him there that he would ordain elders in every city and that is what paul had appointed him to do that is what paul had left him there to do so there's a reason that he is there And he has a specific task that he is to do. This is nothing new. This is not some new idea that the Apostle has. But as we'll see hopefully in a few moments, what he has left Titus there to do is rooted in Scripture. It is a vital part of leadership and a vital part of the purity of the church. Now, the organization of the Cretan church and churches there was unfinished due to the short amount of time that Paul spent with them. Of course, every local church is a work in progress. We are a work in progress. We never arrive in this life. We will be like Him when we're with Him, but until then we are all a work in progress, and so is the churches there at Crete. and Titus was left there to straighten out the situation, and he's to do that by ordaining elders in every town. Now, I read to you, but if you'll look back again, one of their, one of their own poets had said over in verse 12, uh, he defined the Cretans as liars and evil beasts and slow bellies. We've already looked at that. So this, this area was known for its lack of morality, its lack of godliness and holiness, and Paul knew that these new converts could easily be influenced by the immorality of the culture and the people around them, much like we could be tonight if we do not remain sound and pure. The Christians were known for that, and Paul did not want them to have a negative impact on the growth and the maturity of these new believers in Christ. So Titus is now acting as an apostolic agent, if you will, Acts 14, 23, in Paul's absence. He has that authority. Paul has given him that as an apostle. Now, that will end at the close of the apostolic age, but but Titus is acting in that authority. Paul has sent him there. He's an apostle. He has the authority to do that, and he has left Titus here to take on this challenge. As I said in the uh, opening statements before I read, Paul was concerned about the godliness of this congregation. He's concerned about how they relate to God. He wanted the Christians in these churches to continue to grow and mature and be the believers that Christ would have them to be. He wanted them to adorn, if you will, the gospel of Christ by their godly living. He had stated that up in verse number 1, that uh, after you acknowledge the truth, That is after Godliness. I mean, truth and Godliness go together, and so Paul is deeply concerned about that, as he was for the church at Ephesus when he wrote to Timothy in his pastoral letters to him. And so we come to this tonight, and as we come to this subject of the importance of leadership in local churches and the importance in this particular setting of elders in local churches uh, I pray tonight that we'll pray like Samuel prayed in the temple back in First Samuel 3, 9 when he said, you remember, he went to Eli and, and thought Eli had called him, and then you remember Eli went back to him and said, if you hear that voice again, say, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And I pray that we will pray that as well tonight, that God will speak to us and that we will hear what he has to say. Ordaining elders, in verse Number five. Before I get into this tonight, uh, I stand before you as a, uh, a Christian, been saved, I'm, I'm 66 years old and uh, will soon be 67, Lord willing. Uh, I was saved when I was nine, I've been in, in Baptist churches all of my life, raised in a Baptist church, I have served three Baptist churches, this being the third. And uh, I have been exposed to Baptist churches all of my life, as I, as I mentioned uh, a moment ago. I, that's that's been a lot of my ministry. I have preached in Presbyterian churches. I've I've preached in Methodist churches. I've preached in a few others along the way. But for the most part, my life is a uh, my ministry and my Christian life has been in the Baptist church. Uh, I went back and looked at my notes before I left home tonight, and. Uh, just, uh, I have these wrote down, I have everywhere I've ever preached wrote down for the last soon-to-be 50 years, and uh, as of tonight, February 26, I've preached 7,224 times in 50 years. That doesn't count uh, funerals and weddings and those type things, and of those 7,224 times, I've preached in 175 different local churches over that period. Uh, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but it qualifies me to say what I'm about to say. Over a period of 50 years, I have never preached or been in a church with the exception of one that had elders in their church leadership, and that was the Presbyterian church I preached at up in the mountains of North Carolina way back in the late eight or early 80s. Other than that, all of the other churches that I preached in, Baptist churches, were a lot like we are tonight, basically one pastor and deacons. I want to say up front that the elders that are mentioned here, they are not deacons. Deacons and elders are in two entirely different positions and offices in the Church. We will find that the elders is uh, in connection with other, another position. We'll see that in the coming days, but I want you to understand elders are not deacons, and deacons are not elders. They both have their place in the church. I also want you to understand that when we talk about elders, we're not talking about church trustees. Certainly elders can be trustees. Uh, Deacons can be trustees. People that are not elders or deacons can be trustees. Trustees handle the legal aspects of the church, and so this is a a separate thing entirely. But for the most part, Baptists have, have worshipped around, and their church polity is basically around one pastor and usually deacons, one, two, three, four. Some churches have two hundred of them, and uh, the larger they get, they can go in various different ways. That has not always been the case. Our Baptist history, as we'll look at in the coming weeks, we have a Baptist history of, of elders. Uh, Where that dropped and how that dropped is up for debate. Some historians will tell you different things, and you can find certain things. I think one of the things, I think revivalism has had an effect upon that. When the church decades ago began to pursue revival more than they did to pursue the ordinary means that God gives to us to worship Him and to honor Him, I think that church leadership took a, a hit. I think there was also something that happened in the 80s where pastors become celebrities and they were viewed as CEOs and they were viewed as, as the big kahuna, if you will, and that's not Greek, I'm just using that word, but they were viewed as the main piston rod, if you will. Everything revolved around the preacher, what he said, what he did. I think that uh, biblical position of elders really took a hit because the pastor wanted to call the shots on everything. The one individual wanted to call the shots. It's been detrimental to the spiritual soundness of churches. It's been, uh, it's been a hindrance to sound doctrine and faith. That's not to say that in some congregations, one man is sufficient to do that, depending on the size of that and the needs of those congregations. Although I, I will say that there is No record that I have ever found, I didn't say there was no record, I said that there's no record I have ever found in the New Testament where any local church had only one pastor, only one elder leading that congregation. You'll find the word in the plural whenever you read it in Scripture. But we'll look at that in more detail in the days to come. But I'm saying what I'm about to say to you tonight goes against even the way that I was brought up, and the way that I was raised. Also, my grandparents on my mother's side were Presbyterians, and so I was exposed to uh, elder leadership through the Presbyterian church. That's not to say that it was always accurate. You can have elders in Baptist churches. If they're not biblical, that's just as bad as not having any. So everything must be biblical. But the first thing Paul says to Titus after his basic greeting here in verse 1 through 4 is in verse 5 that he is to ordain elders in every city. I don't think we need to argue that or belabor the point. That's the priority for Titus. It's right there in the text. That's his frontline strategy for promoting the godliness in verse 1 that he is after from those who have acknowledged the truth. In other words, that's the main way, that is the main way that godliness is pursued is by having in place a good leadership that helps preach and teach sound doctrine. He says in verse 5, For this cause, or for this purpose of setting things in order and ordaining or appointing elders, I left you in Crete. That's the reason you're here, Titus. That's the reason I have left you. Now, over over the five decades of my ministry, i participated in dozens of ordination services where preachers have, have been ordained. I, I can go back and count them. I don't know how many, but I've been a part of many, many ordination services where men were questioned for the gospel ministry, where men were ordained by their local church and sent out pastors. This church has done that in days gone by with men that have come out of this congregation and either went to the mission field or they're pastoring. But I have never heard a preacher charged to ordain elders in the congregation in which they serve. I've heard them charged over every issue of their qualifications, but I have never heard anyone say, any charging pastor, say to a young preacher going out, when you get to that congregation... You are to bring around you men who can help you teach and preach the Word of God and shepherd the flock of God. I've never heard any one charge in that way. Look at the word ordain there in verse number 5. It means to designate. It means to appoint. It was used in the Greek language to describe appointment to an office or a position. Taken together, setting things in order to the instruction to ordain elders. It reads as two separate things in our text, but in relationship-wise, it is accomplishing the same purpose. Titus, if you're going to set things in order, you're going to need to have elders there with you to help you do that. You're going to need to have people to help you do that. You're going to need to have men there, qualified men, to help you do that. That's what he's saying here in the text. Titus is to find, he is to select, he is to train, and he is to set apart men who meet the qualifications we'll look at in the weeks to come, beginning in verse number 6, but specifically it can be summarized in verse 9. He's to look for men who hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Titus is to look out and find and select, and he is to train men who will be elders, who will be appointed to the position of helping him alongside of him, with him, to help the church remain faithful and help the church to be gaining in sound doctrine. Now, that's what is said here in the text, but the big question is, what is an elder? Who is an elder? Some people think that elders have to be 97 years old with a skipping heartbeat. That's not necessarily the case. Some places we'll see the word elder does mean age, someone that is aged. We'll see that in just a moment. But let's go back to the Old Testament. And I'm not going to read all of these scriptures tonight. You can write down the references and go back and look at them if you will. This word elder is not something, as I said in the opening, that Paul has just come up with here. i got a new idea. Let's let's have elders. No, this is rooted all the way back in the Old Testament, this word elder. It referred in the Old Testament to a special category of men set apart for leadership. And I'll just mention this because you've heard this in Sunday school. Eldad, Medad, and the 70 elders. You ever remember that from Sunday school? Numbers 11, verse 16 records about elders. Deuteronomy 27 and verse number 1. These passages speak of the 70 tribal leaders, the tribes of Israel, who assisted Moses. Deuteronomy 1, 9 through 18 indicate that these men were charged with the responsibility of judging the people, and Moses communicated through them to the people. Exodus nineteen seven, Deuteronomy 31, 9. These men also led the Passover, Exodus 12, 21, and they were involved in the Old Testament in other elements of worship. Now I want to give you a list of, of names that these elders were called, or a list of things they were attached to in the Old Testament. They are called the elders of Israel, 1 Samuel 4, 3. They are called the elders of the land, 1 Kings 20, verse 7. They are called the elders of Judah, 2 Kings 23, 1. They are called the elders of each city in Ezra 10, 14. And in Judges 21, 16, they are called the elders of the congregation. They served in the capacity of local magistrates and sometimes governors over the tribes of Israel Deuteronomy 16, 18, Deuteronomy 19, 12, and Deuteronomy 31, 28. Now that's that's where this word is coming from that we're going to see as it progresses and as it is really defined in the New Testament. There's another word for elder used only five times in the Old Testament. All of these are used in the book of Ezra, and it refers to a group of Jewish leaders in charge of rebuilding the temple. They were called elders after they came back from Babylon but when the word elder is used in the Old Testament it was always used in reference to mature men it was used in reference to heads of families Exodus 12:21. When you see the word elders or elders in the Old Testament, it's talking about able men of moral character. It's talking about God-fearing men, men of truth and men of integrity, Exodus 18, 20, and 21. According to Numbers 11, 16, and 17, it's also speaking of men who were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They were able to have discernment and experience. Now, when we get to the New Testament, this word is going to go a little further than that. But this is the root of the word. When When you have the word elder, that's what it comes from. That is the basis of it. These men in the Old Testament were imparted with courage. They were given courage in their growth and maturity. They were men who prayed. They were men who taught. They were men who judged righteously and fairly according to Deuteronomy 1, 13 through 17. Now, question, so far, based on what I've just told you and how the Bible defines elder in the Old Testament, do you think one man could do all of that? Now, there there were a lot of one men in the Old Testament. Moses, Abraham, Daniel, Joseph the tribe of Levi, but Levi himself? Do do you think one man could do that? Do you not see already that the Word itself is God looking for select men, plural, more than one, to handle these things in order that the nation remain pure and true to God? Now that's the Old Testament background. Let's go back to the New Testament. The Greek word for elder in our text is prespoteros. It is used about 70 times in the New Testament. You'll find this word. And like the Old Testament, sometimes when you see it in the New Testament, it is used to describe aged men or mature men. For example, in Acts 2.17 Peter is quoting Joel 2.28, where he says, Your old men shall dream dreams. The underlying Greek word for old men is presboteros. It's that same word for elder. It could have been translated elder, but Peter is quoting from Joel, so he said, Your old men. He is talking about your aged men. In that context, the word elder does not refer to a position or a title. It simply means... An older man. Another example, and you're close to it right there. Turn back to 1 Timothy 5 and verse 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Here's another example. He says in 1 Timothy 5:1, Rebuke not an elder. Is he talking about someone in a position? Or is he talking about an aged man? Now we've already covered this, but you've probably slept since then, so I'll go back over it. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. Does that not give you a clue? Look at the context. He's talking about age there. Rebuke not an elder because he compares him to a younger man. So there the word elder, well it has the same underlying Greek word, is only referring to the age of a man. Timothy's not to rebuke someone older than him. He's to give him the respect whenever he has to confront something. And then in verse 2 it says the elder women as Mothers. Now, we know that that's not talking about a position because women can't HOLD that position in the church. So he's talking about age there, again, the youngerest sister. So the context is very clear. It dictates what the Word is actually talking about, which is true in most cases in Scripture when you read them. But who pays attention to context anymore? I mean, if you want to preach something, preach it. It don't matter what it means, just preach it if you, want to, if you want to preach it. That's kind of the way it is. Elder. Here in Titus 1.5, or presbyteros, is used 28 times in the New Testament to refer to a group of spiritual leaders in Israel. And we just went over, we just had this two weeks ago in Matthew 15. You remember Jesus talked about the tradition of the elders? He's not just talking about the old men there. He's talking about men who held positions in the nation of Israel. Let me go over them right quickly. He talks about in Matthew twenty-seven three the chief priests and elders. He talks about in Matthew twenty-seven forty-one the scribes and the elders. In Luke twenty-two fifty-two he talks about officers of the temple and elders. Acts four eight rulers and elders of the people. He's not there talking about just people that are old. They may have been old, but he's talking about they are associated with some position in Israel, some leadership position, much like they were in the Old Testament. And I'm saying all this so you will understand that this word is saturated not just in the age of some man or woman, but it is saturated in positions, in titles. It is a word that makes you think there's a purpose for these, these people being in this position. There's something for them to do. That's the way the word comes to us from the Old Testament that we now see in the New Testament. I hope you're following what I'm saying. There are twelve occurrences of the word elders, presbyteros, in the book of Revelation. All of them refer to the twenty-four elders. It's there. You can read about it. Who appear to be that special representation of the redeemed people of God from all ages. So even in the future, even in Revelation. You have this word being used the same way. There's something about everyone who has this word attached to them that they are somehow representing God's people. They are looking after God's people. They are shepherding God's people. They are taking care of God's people. They are doing something that God wants done among and with God's people. Thirdly, how is the word elder used in reference to the church? Now, I don't I don't encourage you to lose any sleep over how it was used with Israel, uh, I don't think you should stay up all night trying to figure out every context in which it's talking about old people, I, that's really, and even how it was used in Jesus' day referring to people who held certain positions like scribes and elders and all of that, or even about the 24 elders in the book of Revelation, but I do think tonight it's worth paying attention to as to how it is used in the church. Because we are not in Israel, and we're not yet in Heaven, but we are in the Church tonight. And this Word is a beautiful Word, ordained and preserved by the Holy Spirit of God, recorded in our Bibles. And it is saying that every local church needs elders. That's what we're going to find in the Scripture. Then the next question is, if we do... Why have we decided for so long that we don't? And if we think we don't, then how do we balance that with the Word of God that says we do? And if we realize we do, but we haven't, the next question is, will we? And if we decide to do that, the next question is, how do you do that? And all of those questions are answered tonight in Scripture. Now, the easiest thing to do is say amen and go home and forget about it, and just move on down the road like we are. After all, the way we've done it has worked for how many years? But the way we have done it is not always the best way, and it's not always God's way. So my time's running short, but how is the word elder used in the New Testament in reference to the Church? Now, the New Testament, you know this, I said it this morning, was first Jewish. So it would be natural that, the, that when the word elder was used by the Lord to Peter, the Apostles, that those Jews in the early church would have a concept of what that word meant. That's why I just spent 20 minutes telling you about its history in Jewish origin, so you would understand. So whenever this word elder is introduced to the church, outside of scribes and Pharisees, outside of elders of Judah, outside of elders of Israel and those kind of things, it was not a strange word to those Jews who had been converted and were now a part of the church. Again, as I said earlier, elder was the only commonly used Jewish term for leadership in the nation of Israel that was not connected with the priesthood Or the monarchy of a king. In the Old Testament, Israel knows about priests, Israel knows about kings, but the elder, as it's used in the Old Testament, that word was not connected to priesthood, and that word was not connected to kingship. It was a totally separate thing, and so it is in the New Testament. We who are saved, thank God, we are priests tonight in Christ, and Christ is our King, but yet still in the church we need elders. That's, the import, that's very important tonight. We don't, need a, we don't have to have a priest in the church. We have a great high priest, amen? We have a king. We don't need, but we do need elders. And I've referenced the book of Acts in the introduction, but I want you to know that elders is used nearly 20 times in the book of Acts and in the epistles. And it is in direct reference to a unique group of leaders in the church. Turn with me to, let's close, let's stop here tonight. Go to Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. Find verse 29. From the very earliest beginnings of the church in the book of Acts, it was clear that God wanted a group of mature spiritual leaders and that they would have the responsibility for the church. Acts 11, look at verse 29 and verse number 30. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Acts 11 proves that elders existed in the church at that very early date. Now, is this just talking about old people? No, this is talking about people that are responsible. They're sending relief, and they're doing it through a group of men that is, holding them accountable, and a group of men who are trustworthy and people of integrity. And they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They had authority, they had, they had the maturity. Turn over to Acts 14, let me go here and we'll, we'll wrap up right here, Acts 14, 21 through 23. Now Scripture does not tell us how elders were selected and appointed. It had Obviously, it came through congregational appointment. I mean, it came through congregational uh, leadership. I don't have any doubt about that. But look at Acts 14, 21 through 23. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconian and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, now, let me just pause there just a minute. Does that not read a little bit like Titus 1? Having come to the promise of life and having come to the acknowledging of the truth through the word of God and the gospel of God, Paul is wanting the Christians to grow in faith and to be sound in their doctrine. And the same thing here. He wants these to continue in the faith and they're going to go through tribulation, but he wants them to enter the kingdom of God. Look at verse 23 of Acts 14. And when they had ordained them elders, see the plural again, elders, in every city and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. How are these people going to continue in the faith? And how are they going to stay with it during the tribulations and the sufferings as they enter into the kingdom of God? They're going to do that through sound biblical teaching. And where do they get that? They get that from the elders. That is God's plan. These elders in the text, plural, were to be appointed notice in the text in every city. Acts 14, 23, in every city. The preposition in there probably means city by city. There were most likely numerous small churches that was everywhere on the island of Crete, and they wanted to be sure that every one of them had proper leadership and proper leadership instruction. Every one of these churches needed someone to oversee them. They needed someone to shepherd them. They needed someone to instruct them and to help them grow sound in the faith. And Barnabas and Paul are a part of that, men, to help them get well-established and grounded in Scripture. Nearly every church we know of in the New Testament is specifically said to have elders, plural. For example, Acts 20, 17, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And it's interesting that the church at Ephesus had elders because when you read Revelation 1:11, the seven churches of Asia Minor, all of those churches are connected back there. They're extensions of what happened in Ephesus. So we can assume that those churches are functioning on the same pattern with a plurality of elders." Now I knew this was going to take several messages and I'm going to take my time. Why? Because it's important. Let me ask you these questions. Don't answer out loud, wave your hand, or, or holler, but just listen to the question and answer this within your own heart and mind. Is it biblical for West Lenore Baptist Church to have a pastor? Is it Biblical for Western Lord Baptist Church to have deacons? Is it Biblical for Western Lord Baptist Church to have elders? If so, do we? If so, who are they? If so, should we have one one, or more than one? What does the Bible say? Well, so you won't stay up all night, you do have a pastor, you're looking at him, I'm here, and you do have, at this moment, one elder, and you're looking at him. You have deacons, more than one. Do we need more than one of anything? It's not about what we think, it's about what the Bible says. I am currently... The only elder serving at Western or Baptist Church by your appointment, as a congregation. Lord willing, we'll see in the few weeks and the weeks ahead how the role of the pastor, elder, bishop, overseer—how all of those—we'll look at the words and see how basically that's that's the same. That's the same thing. Preacher, are you saying you need an associate? I'm not preaching on associates tonight. I'm preaching on elders. Where do those elders come from? They come from within the congregations of these churches. And I'm going to say tonight, have you, ever heard, have you ever heard of a church when their pastor dies or resigns or leaves? Have you ever heard of a church that goes outside of their membership and calls another pastor? Have you ever heard of a church like that? Hopefully you're not asleep. You've done, you've done that here before I got here. and then that. That's where most churches go outside their congregation. Uh, most of them go outside to get everything they need. Do you know a church that ever went outside to get a deacon? We're needing the deacons, so and we're going to go to Second Baptist Church in Chesney, South Carolina. We're going to call one of theirs to come up here and be ours. I, don't, I have never heard that of that of you. Never heard of that. Don't know that I want to hear that. Deacons come from within. I think a healthy church does the same thing with pastors and teachers and everything Do you think it's a coincidence? As we've talked about Sister Libby and the piano and Micah, isn't it a blessing from heaven that within our own family here that God has birthed physically and then raised up Isn't that a blessing? Absolutely a blessing. I would have a cardiac arrest if I had to go out and hire a piano player somebody I don't even know. I believe tonight when a church is healthy and sound and functioning, it will within its own body produce everything that church needs. Your next pastor may be over in the youth building tonight. Your next pastor may be in the nursery, although God knows if he is, he's going to have to help this one, I'll tell you that. But he may very well be there. My, my home church ordained me in 1976. I had just turned 20 years of age. i have been preaching three years. And they ordained me and sent me out. Sometime, that's God's plan sometimes. But I've looked back at that just as a young man But I look back at it, I was born in that church, I was raised in that church. Every man who laid their hands on me had also held me when I was a baby. They knew me. I long to be a part of a healthy church that can reproduce leadership. And it would be an honor to this pastor when my work is done here to be able to step down one Sunday night and walk over here and sit down, and you never miss the preaching from someone even within our own congregation that maybe, maybe you wouldn't even think about tonight. And the same way with music directors, and the same way, but that, that's a different, we're, we're talking about the Word of God here now. And this is what's happening. This is listen, Paul was so concerned about, he was so concerned about the Christians. That it it wasn't just Titus's job to do this. He's to get men around him that can do it with him and serve with him. Yes, I think there's all I think there's always a face, there's always a shepherd, there's always somebody that you look at. Yes, that's the pastor. I I understand that, and I, I think that's right. But I think the heart of this is if something happens to that face that the church will suffer no, no loss when the next faith steps in there because they're teaching and preaching sound doctrine. And that should be the way it is with our teachers and with all of us tonight when we're on the same page. Paul just thought that truth leads to godliness and one way you keep that right is to have godly men in that position, who can handle the Word of God. I want you to pray with me about that. And you have heard me say since I've been here, you have heard me say this. Whoever you are, whatever whatever you're doing tonight for Christ, you need to be praying about who succeeds you. That they be sound in the faith and that they be true to God. No church should have to start praying for their next pastor the Sunday night after he resigns on Sunday morning. You need to be praying about that tonight and every day in order to remain sound. I don't watch the news much, but I have in the last few days because of one specific lady I was asked to listen to in a little town that I was familiar with, and someone told me I should go on YouTube and watch her presentation. I think I mentioned this to brother David the other, night, the other day he was down in Building D during the flood, and we were standing there talking and and uh, I mentioned it to him, and so I did and this this grandmother went before a little small county school board who, out of fear of losing their federal funds, had voted to except all of this gender books and all this stuff. And she had three minutes to address the school board. She was addressing the school board on behalf of her granddaughter, who was in like fifth or sixth grade. And she opened up that book, and she said, I'm going to spend my three minutes reading to you what you have provided for my, daughter, my granddaughter to read. I can't repeat what was read. It was so vulgar, so pornographic so vile, things there that you wouldn't have found in a pornography stand decades ago. She read it with tears. You could hear people weeping. And she said, this is what you've placed in the hands of my granddaughter to read as a, five, as a fifth grader. And she closed the book with people weeping and sat down. And the board quickly moved to the next item on the agenda. And nothing, absolutely nothing, was done. What do you think one grandmother could do? Not much. Has the truth of God, and I I hear people say this all the time, I hear preachers sometimes brag about themselves, I'm the last man preaching, I'm the last guy standing for truth. If If we're following a biblical example, that's not true. All of us should be on the same page. And truth, the gospel is more important than a library book. And it's going to take more than one preacher, than one pastor, to make sure that the Christians remain sound in the faith. And it's going to take more than one man in this pulpit to make sure that this church stays sound in the faith. I've left thee in Crete that thou wouldst set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders. I cannot express to you as I leave this with you tonight how important sound doctrine is to a church. Truth about Jesus Christ. God never intended it to all be resting on one man's shoulders. That's why He set up His church like He did. May God give us elders. May God give us shepherds. May God give us overseers, bishops. May God give us deacons. May God give us teachers. May God give us Christians who, after they've acknowledged the truth, want to be godly, and they have the tools and the people around them to help them do that very thing. Pray for Your Church tonight as I pray that God would help us. Father, thank You for this time together tonight. Lord, I pray that You would take the Word that's been read tonight. Lord, I've done the best I could do with my limited knowledge of, of languages and words and things from the Old Testament and New Testament, and with the help of men who knew more than I know about these very items and these very words to present to our church tonight, Lord, the picture of the local church. And Lord, for whatever reason tonight, I, I pray that for, where, for, for why we are where we are and for, for however we got here tonight, Lord, it's in my heart as I know it's in the heart of these people. We want to do this biblical. We want to do this right. And Lord, all of our days, all of us here will be done someday and others will follow us Lord, as, as I look across this congregation, as I look over in the youth department, as I, as I look at the young men, the young married men that you, have, that you have kept in this church and brought into this church, Lord, I, I see in the future solid biblical leadership. I see it, Father. And I thank You for it. Lord, you, You're showing us in ways that maybe we're not looking, but you, You're surrounding us with this. And we don't want to miss this purpose and we don't want to miss this moment and Lord I don't want to miss this keep my ego in check keep my name out of it Lord keep my reputation at bay Lord this doesn't belong to any of us none of us bled for your church none of us died for it Lord this is about you and Lord I pray that you would out of this own congregation those you have saved by your grace raise up Elders, shepherds, deacons, servants, men who would lead this church soundly in the years to come. I pray You'd do it for Your glory and for Your honor, because we are Your church. Thank You for helping us tonight. Work this deep in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.